have a lovely yellow lab named Lucy, and she loves to play in the woods and go on walks with me. Now let's just recall from our conversation with Justin Wood that ticks are not particular about what kind of animals they choose to feed off of. So it's so important that we check our animals when we come in from the outdoors. On this podcast of Looking at Lyme, we're not going to roll over and just let it happen. We're going to meet a veterinarian who specializes in treating our furry friends for Lyme disease and other tick-borne illnesses. It can be hard for a dog owner to know what's wrong with their pet, since they spend so much time running, rolling, and fetching sticks in the outdoors. Dr. Joe Bloom has been diagnosing and treating companion animals with Lyme disease for years. He even has a mobile clinic. We've reached him in New Jersey. Hello, Dr. Bloom. Thank you so much for taking our call today. Of course. Thanks, Sarah. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm curious to know what kind of species of ticks are you finding in your neighborhood? Well, you know, um, look, just let me start with a, a little bit of a disclaimer. I'm, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a parasitologist. I'm not an immunologist. I'm a, just a general practice veterinarian, and I take care of companion animals, mostly dogs and cats. But I happen to practice in an area that's extremely endemic for Lyme disease. So what species of ticks? I mean, we see all different kinds of species of ticks. Um, we see, you know, Ixodes scapularis, which is the main Lyme tick. We see all kinds of other ticks, amblyoma, uh, dermacenter ticks, ripocephalus ticks, all different ticks. But as far as Lyme goes, I have the sense that the main vector for Lyme is the Ixodid tick, which is in particular the Ixodes scapularis tick, which is often called the deer tick or the black-legged tick. And, you know, we, we, see it, um, we see it all the time, absolutely all the time. So much so, I know, you know, one of the questions that you suggested might be presented today is how prevalent are ticks on dogs in the eastern U.S. And I'm not aware of a study that tells us how prevalent ticks themselves are, um, I can tell you that because we have so much Lyme disease in dogs and have had for so many years that um, we check regularly once a year at every annual physical uh, with, with a, a point-of-service immediate test for all of the tick-borne diseases as well as heartworm disease, which is, a, which is a mosquito disease. So we check dogs as a matter of course at every well visit, and we also check them anytime they present with, um, with any kind of fever or any kind of um, potential clinical signs. And, you know, we, we come up with positive tests for Lyme every week in dogs uh, around here, absolutely every week. I was curious to know, if you don't find the tick on your dog, what kind of symptoms would an owner want to be looking out for in their pet, in their dog or their cat? Of course, you know, we often don't find the tick itself, um, you know, and, and the tick really, according to the CDC and everything I've learned, has to be attached to your dog for at least 36 to 48 hours to make your dog sick. Um, and so oftentimes, we, you know, we're presented with a dog that's showing clinical signs of Lyme and we don't find a tick at all. The typical clinical signs that we always used to call it shifting leg lameness. 
um, meaning, you know, a polyarthropathy, a joint pain that can move from one joint to the other over the course of a day or a week, and sometimes generalized um, joint pain. So typically they'll, they'll be, you know, slow to rise out of their bed in the morning. They may actually have some tremors and, um, you know, very lethargic, uh, not in, a, anxious to move around. Um, they Usually if it's a bad case and they're very clinical, they'll have a fever. They won't want to eat. Um, and, you know, one of the first things we do is a, a, a snap test, we call them. Um, and if that's positive, then, you know, we follow on with further testing. Um, but, you know, we, we can always assume a, if there's a positive test and we see a fever, um, that probably Lyme is the culprit because it happens so commonly. And is that snap test, is that the same as the C6 test? No, there are, there are a couple of different so-called, I mean, I call them immediate tests. It takes about eight or ten minutes to get the results. One of them is uh, called a 4DX test, and the other is called a Flex 4 test, and I think there are probably more than just those two that we use in our clinic to get an immediate result. And they're really just yes or no tests. They tell us whether or not the dog has had an exposure to Lyme, um, but they also test for uh, other tick-borne diseases that dogs can be aff afflicted with, including um, including anaplasmosis and ehrlichiosis. Um, and so uh, they also check for heartworm, as I mentioned. So we'll do that test first. And, you know, th there is a C6 antibody test, which is a quantitative antibody test, and I've used that very often. And the sequence would kind of go like this. If we get a dog that's having clinical signs of Lyme, fever and joint pain and, you know, is obviously sick, and we get a positive Lyme uh, result on a 4DX or a Flex 4 test, then we'd often run um, a C6 antibody titer. And, you know, if that's over a certain cutoff, the recommendation by the company that created that test is that we treat the dog. Um, and they also recommend that six months after, we do another titer, another C6 antibody test, a so-called convalescent titer. And if the quantity of Lyme that's, um, that's indicated in the bloodstream has not decreased by 50% or more, um, it's recommended to treat them a second time. You know, it's sort of controversial uh, whether or not the information contained in the quantitative antibody test is really that clinically useful. It really was created by one company, and it's one internal medicine specialist who created that test. Um, we're not certain, um, you know, whether or not it's really necessary to do that. Um, but certainly, you know, even in dogs that have just a positive SNAP test and no clinical signs whatsoever, no obvious history of a tick bite from their owners, you know, we'll go right ahead and check them, uh, check them for protein in their urine anyway because some dogs can have, oftentimes, I'd say probably more often than not, dogs are positive on one of the immediate tests, the 4DX or the Flex 4, which indicates they've absolutely been exposed to a Lyme tick, um, and they don't get sick. So they're carrying, you know, Lyme antibodies, and they don't get sick at all. But that can smolder, and although it hasn't been proven um, definitively, a lot of suspicion among veterinarians is that um, there, can be, uh, there can be kidney problems down the road, um, specifically what we call Lyme nephropathy. And I think the Cornell Vet School has been working on this for years to prove that it can happen, but no one's really proved it yet. Um, still, we do know that, you know, sometimes dogs that have had chronic exposures to Lyme never really got a fever, never really got arthritis, and then down the road, they have a lot of protein in their urine, and they start to have kid kidney problems, nephropathies. So every positive test in my, in my clinic gets uh, a urine analysis, and if there's protein in the urine, I quantify whether the protein is significant, doing a protein-creatinine ratio. And if they have significant protein in their urine, I start to treat them for, uh, for kidney issues. 
That is so curious that some of those animals don't get sick. I think we have a lot to learn from that research going forward. Some of them really don't get sick. Oftentimes they don't get sick. And in the old days we would have said, well, just keep an eye on them, you know, and if you start to see clinical signs, we'll treat them. Unless an owner is keen to have, you know, to have the antibiotics on board just as a precaution, which we would obviously um which we would obviously honor that request. If an owner just wants to treat the dog, we can always just treat the dog. But, um, you know, these days we are a little more uh, aggressive in checking urine analysis and making sure there's not any any Lyme nephropathy going on. So, yeah, I, I, I know it's not necessarily something that would come up in the questions you would ask, but you're probably aware, you may not be, that there used to be a human Lyme vaccine years ago. Yes, I am aware of that. Yeah, I had that vaccine in 1998, I think it was. It's no longer available. It hasn't been available in so many years. That's kind of upsetting to me, frankly. But they do have a vaccine for dogs, don't they? Yeah, there are a couple of them. And, you know, and I used to use them very, very often. I used them in pretty much every dog for many years. Um, I use them a little less now just because the new generation of flea and tick prevention products, which are oral chewable products, are 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 extremely um, effective, and owners like them much more than the older flea and tick prevention products, the oily topical ones that you put on their fur, and so owners are much more likely to actually use them. So I feel like it's an opportunity because they're so effective that for owners who are diligent about using flea and tick protection for their dogs, you know, it's an opportunity to vaccinate them a little bit less because we, you know, we kind of over-vaccinate our dogs, in my opinion. But I still do use the Lyme vaccines frequently. And, you know, it's interesting to note that, you know, because the vaccines are not perfect, we don't have studies to say, we don't have at least large studies to say what are their efficacy. Um, you know, there are definitely vaccine failures. I've had quite a number of dogs that have had been, been vaccinated for Lyme and still get sick with Lyme disease over the years. That's happened frequently, but, you know, the companies that manufacture these vaccines, Merck and Zoetis and other companies, they typically, if your dog gets uh, sick with Lyme after having been vaccinated in the last 12 months, they'll usually pay for the treatment. Wow, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, most Merck will pay for the treatment. Zoetis will usually pay for the treatment if you can prove that your dog was vaccinated within the last year and that is positive and clinical for Lyme. Yeah, they'll take care of all the vet bills. What would somebody do if they found an embedded tick on their companion animal? Can they test the tick? You could, but I mean, you know, you could. I don't typically do that. I think some vets do will send the tick out to see what type of tick is it and, you know, what kind of antigen it has. But oftentimes, I don't typically do that. We first of all suggest that they, you know, they take the tick off, remove the tick with a... a, um, a tweezers, remove the tick with a little device you can get at the pet store that's like a V-shaped kind of a, a little probe that you can pull the tick off with. And, you know, remember that the dog has to have had the tick on them for roughly 36 to 48 hours in order for it to transmit disease. So usually what we would do is wait a few weeks for the dog to seroconvert and then test it and see if it's positive. So I have a lovely nine-year-old yellow lab, Lucy, and uh, she's very well trained to have a tick chat tick check done on her every time we come back from playing in the outdoors. I'm curious if you might have advice to pet owners about how to check their animals for ticks and where they might find them more frequently. I mean, yeah, you, you know, you usually find them. You can, you should, you, it's going to be hard with certain breeds and with certain hair coats. It's going to be almost impossible, especially with dark colored coats and maybe pigmented skin and long coats. It may be impossible to find the ticks, but generally speaking, the, you know, the ticks will go for the vascular areas. 
So around the neck and the head and the ears is where the blood vessels are close to the surface, and these ticks are looking for a blood meal, and they can smell the blood vessels. And they'll typically go around the, you know, the head and the ears mostly. But they can be anywhere, and you know, you're probably not going to find them until they've been engorged on some coats that might be thick or dark and hard to find. There's really no substitute in my um, book for, you know, using one of the modern um, new generation of flea and tick prevention um, products. And, you know, but even so, you have to remember that not all, but typically most of the flea and tick prevention products that are available for dogs, um, you know, they don't actually prevent the tick from going onto your dog. They will kill the tick after it bites your dog, and usually they will kill the tick within 12 hours and the tick will fall off and die um, before it's had enough time to transmit disease. But it certainly will not, you know, uh, at least according to the way these products are labeled, um, it won't prevent the tick, it won't repel the tick, and won't prevent the tick from climbing onto your dog. So if you're really concerned about bringing a tick into your home uh, or having a tick crawl on your dog at all, you might want to consider using a different type of product, like I think there's something, it's called a Ceresto collar, which is a, sort of an old-fashioned tick collar, but it's, it's, uh, it's much more effective than the ones we used to have, and it is actually designed to repel the ticks and, and cause them to not actually get onto your dog to begin with. Yeah, you bring up a good point there that uh, even though our, the ticks might not, you know, be embedded on the on the pet, they can still come into our home. And of course, we love to cuddle our pets. So we need to just be aware that we could have ticks on our bodies if we're getting cuddly with our pets. Absolutely. And, and the ticks will often climb up. I mean, my dog is on regular flea and tick prevention. And although the company that, you know, manufactured the tick medicine that I use wouldn't would tell you, no, it's not going to, it's not going to um, repel the ticks from climbing onto your dog. Anecdotally, what I've noticed is that you know, she really doesn't get many tick bites at all. I take her in the woods frequently. She often has ticks crawling all over her, and um, they, generally speaking, uh, don't seem to bite. So I have the sense that maybe, although they wouldn't tell you this, these newer flea and tick prevention medicines, which are the oral chewable kind, actually do have some kind of ability to repel the ticks. But, you know, you just have to, you really have to check them. And the best way to do it is probably to give them a bath, I guess. And what are the long-term effects on dogs if Lyme disease is not detected early on? Can it become a chronic the illness? One, the, the main one that we worry about, if, if, they ha- if it hasn't been detected and they've had a long chronic um, infection, the main one that we worry about is, um, is what we call Lyme nephropathy. And again, it, it's not something that's been definitively proven that it can happen, but it, you know that exists when antigen-antibody complex deposit into the tissues of the kidneys and cause kidney disease calls glomerular nephropathy, they cause protein loss through the kidneys, which can be a really severe disease, and it can be a life-threatening disease eventually. Um, there could, there's also some evidence, I think, that, you know, long-term exposure um, to Lyme without treatment could cause arthropathy, could cause arthritis, generalized arthritis, but mostly we worry about kidney disease. Yeah. So you've seen a lot more cases of Lyme disease in your area in eastern U.S. I'm, I'm in British Columbia in western Canada, and we're seeing a lot right. more cases of Lyme disease across Canada. I'm just curious if you would have any advice for veterinarians in Canada. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I think that maybe one of the reasons we see so many cases is because we test so much. And, you know, funny, there might be a parallel to something else going on at the moment. Um, but we test regularly. You know, we just every dog gets a test at least once a year. Uh, every dog with a fever uh, and any kind of joint pain gets a test. So, you know, the tests are not expensive. They're easily available. They have high sensitivity and specificity. And, you know, we just use the test. Instead of just doing a, a heartworm antigen test every year for each dog, we do a test that includes heartworm antigen, Lyme, um, anaplasmosis, and Ehrlichia. And, you know, we pick them up that way very often. Um, yeah. And also encourage, you know, we have, I think one key factor to remember is that, you know, ticks are wide awake and looking for a blood meal Anytime the, the temperature, the, the ambient temperature is above 40 degrees. So, you know, people say, well, in February it's very cold. I don't use tick prevention medicine. But I know where I am, you know, we have very cold winters, and we still sometimes get a 40 or 50 degree day in February. And dogs can certainly get a tick bite on a day like that for sure, even if there's snow on the ground. So, you know, it's not really that much of a seasonal thing either. It's something that can happen any time. So, you know, regular flea and tick prevention, something like, I, I mean, I'm not touting any particular product, but Revecto or Simparica or NextGuard, every company has their version of these oral flea and tick prevention medicines, which will kill the ticks within 12 hours, and they're very well tolerated, despite, you know, some of the things that you may read. Um, they're very well tolerated. They're at least as safe as any of the previous generations of flea and tick medicines, and um, they're very effective. So, you know, just use those and do vaccines, and um, you'll, you'll have it under control much more quickly. I've learned so much from our conversation today, Dr. Bloom. Thank you so much for your time. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Call me anytime. What a privilege to get to speak to such an experienced veterinarian. I had a few key takeaways from that conversation. One is a reminder that ticks do become active at 40 degrees Fahrenheit, which in Canada we convert to 4 degrees Celsius. I was bitten in February. The other key takeaway is that there is effective medication to protect our pets, but we should still be mindful that our pets can bring those ticks into our homes. Thank you for listening to this podcast. See you next time and stay safe in the outdoors.